0: Can we put our hands together and thank the worship team this morning? I love how sensitive they are to the presence of God as they lead us Sunday after Sunday. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you to church this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Marisa, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and I am just so happy that you are here with us this morning. If you are a guest, if this is your first time here, I would just want to say welcome. Thank you for choosing to spend part of your Sunday with us. For those of you who are tuning in online, the same thing. Welcome, welcome. We are so glad to have you here. If you are a guest with us, I would love it if you would take a second and text the number 505 666 Four seven seven seven. We would love just to connect with you a little bit further and give you some more information about our church and get to know you a little bit more. So thank you so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us here this morning. Uh, Coming up, we have a handful of exciting things. You guys, when we first arrived here at City Church, we were given a tour of this facility. And we were told and even shown some photos of what this place looked like before you guys all got in here and made it look what it looks like today. And we were in amaze and in awe at how many volunteers came in to help create the auditorium, all of the kids' classes, the annex room, just to make this space what it is, to clean out what was here and to put what is here now in place. A lot of that was done because of your willingness to volunteer. And do you know that coming up on September 9th, we are gonna have an all church work day where we're going to come and we're going to make the front of our property what people see on the outside when they drive past we're going to just tidy that up a little bit give it a bit of curb appeal as well as tackle some projects that are still remaining in the building and I would love to see as many of you guys there as possible at 9 a.m. on Saturday Um, I'm sorry is it a Saturday Saturday, September 9th, we're going to have fun. We're going to serve together. We're going to beautify the property. We're going to beautify the house of the Lord even further. My mom always told me growing up, many hands make light work so we would love to see as many of you there as possible also we're really excited because today is small group sign up there's a QR code if you want to scan that uh, with your device you will be taken to a page that will show you all of the different small groups that we have here at City Church we would love for you to be a part of a small group you know when you come to a church really of any size the relationships are really truly formed when you can get together with a smaller group of people You know, it's one thing to come in here Sunday after Sunday and say hi to a friend you haven't seen in a week and check in on people you haven't touched base with in a while. But the people you do life with, are the ones you're meeting with regularly and we love and value our small groups for this reason it's a great way to build relationships get connected and begin to go through life with like-minded believers who can be with you and walk with you through every season of life that you encounter so please take a, a moment scan that qr code and see the different small groups we have available also coming up uh, The the youth group, Soul, is going to be starting a new series this fall called Verses. Now, if you are a high school or a middle school, I want to encourage you guys to come because this series is going to tackle how the Christian faith stacks up against all the other faiths and religions that are out there. This is really crucial. Parents, if you have a middle schooler or a high school, this topic is so crucial so that they can enter into their, their grown-up years with an understanding and an assurance that there is one true God. His name is Jesus. Jesus. He saved the world from uh, from their sins he died he rose again and he is the way the truth and the life and the world right now is going to tell them a whole bunch of other narratives and stories that are not true choose your own truth yolo you only live once if it feels good do it they're gonna be telling them a whole bunch of different truths and different uh, religions, of course, have their own version of this, but we wanna equip our young people to be able to know the truth of who God is so that when the storms of the world come at them, they can stand their ground with sure footing and knowing I'm following the one true God. So if you wanna know how Christianity kind of stacks up to the other religions that are out there who are also claiming to be the truth, please come. This is gonna be such an incredible series with Soul, the youth group, okay? Now, how many know that without the generosity of believers, church doesn't happen? Without the generosity of believers, we don't get to help support uh, an orphanage across the border. Without the generosity of believers, we don't get to help send Jess to Maui to serve in a time of crisis. It's the generosity of believers that helps make an impact, a tangible impact in the world around us, both here in Albuquerque and in other nations as well. So I want to encourage you guys this morning, will you continue to be a generous church? Will you continue to give your tithes and your offerings? Continue to be a church that says, I'm not going to stop now. God's brought us this far. I'm not going to stop now. I'm going to continue to faithfully give my tithes and my offerings week after week. If you want to give, you can text the, uh, the word give to you can also drop it off in um, the box at the back of the auditorium i believe and i have seen over and over and over again in my life the faithfulness of god when i continue to with my finances say i'm giving to you first he always takes care of me he always takes care of me And that's the promise for us that when we put him first he will truly take care of us so this morning i want to pray over our tithes and offerings and i want to pray over you that you would experience your own testimony of the faithfulness of god because you put him first in your finances where you're able to see him miraculously come through uh, and provide for you as well so if you want that prayer come on lift your hands let me pray over you this morning Lord I thank you so much that you are the God that supplies all of our needs according to your riches and glory Lord that you take from wherever you deem fit and you can move finances around and cause them to fall into the laps of the people you choose Lord your word says give and it will be given to you pressed down, shaking together, running over in good measure will fall into your lap. And I just release that word over every faithful giver here that they would step into a season of the testimony of God's faithfulness for their life to see how that is not just a scripture in black and white in the Bible, but they would see that's the same God that worked on my behalf. It poured out in good measure on my lap. I just release the miraculous provision of God over City Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you guys, we're in for a real treat this morning. Jeff is going to share with us the entirety of the Bible in one message. We'll have you out of here by seven. Yeah, Just kidding. It's going to be really great. So get out your devices, your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever you take notes with, and let's get ready for an awesome word.
1: all right. It's good to see everyone this morning. It's good to be in church. It's, I just love it when the, uh, the church community, the family of God gathers together just to worship the Lord and to enter into God's presence uh, together. Amen. There's something about being here. You know, we love it when people join us online, and for any who are joining us online, welcome. We love that, but there's also, there's something different about being present with uh, our church family and our church community together. Amen? Amen. Before we jump into our message this morning, I just wanted to uh, mention a couple things. I want to thank uh, Marisa and Jeff Lance for uh, preaching over the past uh, three weeks, and uh, didn't they do a great job, and it was such a blessing uh, to... Um, and uh, also want to thank Daniel and the worship team for putting together the worship uh, night that we had this past uh, Wednesday. We are a church that values God's presence, and, uh, and so it's wonderful when we have uh, people, men and women, in the church here who will uh, give themselves to creating opportunities for us as a church family to come together and just to set time aside, just to enter into God's presence and to worship the Lord together, and so I want to thank the worship team and Daniel for uh, making that happen this past, uh, this past Wednesday. All right, um, we're going to be starting a, uh, a new series this morning. And uh, over the next probably five weeks, we're going to be taking a look at, uh, first, we're going to take a couple of weeks to focus on the gospel, and after that, we're going to take a couple of weeks, and we're going to talk about some of the biblical principles and practices that we can learn that will help us to be a light that shines in the darkness and a voice for that gospel in our world. You know, at the center of what we as Christians believe and proclaim is this word that we call gospel, that we know as gospel. But even that word gospel, it's a bit of a Christian word, right? Uh, you know, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, uh, it defines our English word gospel as the message concerning Christ, the kingdom of God, and salvation, it also is each of the first four books of the New Testament telling the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It means an interpretation of the Christian message. It means a message or a teaching of a religious leader or it can mean something accepted or promoted as an infallible truth or as a guiding principle or doctrine. Our English word gospel it is derived from the Anglo-Saxon term godspell meaning good story which is derived from the Latin word evangelium, which comes from the Greek word euangelion, which simply means good news. So when you read in Luke about the birth of Jesus, right after Jesus is born, uh, Luke gives us a scene of angels appearing to some shepherds. And the angel says to the shepherds, he says, uh, the angel says, to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause joy for all the people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Jesus, The he is the Messiah, the Lord. So this good news, this is the first preaching of the gospel in the New Testament. It happens right after Jesus is born when an angelic host shows up To some shepherds and declares to them good news a Savior has been born. Well, this word gospel is used frequently in churches and in Christian circles, it's tremendously important that we understand exactly what this good news is, what it means for the world, what it means for us, and what we are called to do about it. Because we are called to believe the gospel, that is, to believe the good news, but more than that, we are called to be gospel people. We are called to be a gospel church, We are called to both demonstrate, to be a demonstration of and voice for the good news to our world. So over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to dig deep into. And this really is important because a church is not meant to be a, a we don't come here just so that we can listen to a band play some good songs. We don't come for the performance of music. We don't come to hear a TED Talk. We don't come to get some self-help advice. We don't come just to hear a good word that might help us live a more moral life. All of those things are good, and they could be a part of what we do. But the church is to be a community of people whose lives have been transformed by this good news. And through that transformation, we demonstrate as individuals and as a community what it looks like when Jesus Christ is king. But more than that, as gospel people, we become ambassadors for this good news wherever we are. So that the gospel isn't just about who we are, what we believe, and what we do on a Sunday, but it is about who we are how we live and what we proclaim on a Monday or on a Tuesday. That when we're hanging out with our neighbors or our friends or our families, wherever we find ourselves when we are at work, we are called to be a gospel people. Because the gospel, although it sometimes can be thought of as like a Christian idea, the gospel is for everyone. Everyone. The good news is for everyone. The good news is for your husband or your wife. It is for your son or your daughter. It is for your co-workers. It is for your neighbor. It is for your boss. It is good news for everyone. And so this is why we're going to take a few weeks and we're going to dig into this idea because we are called to be gospel people we are called to be a gospel church. But this good news, it needs some context. It needs some backstory. A couple of days ago, my wife and I were uh, watching a a docu-series on uh, on Netflix called The Pharmacist. And uh, it's a series that um, tells a story, true story, about a pharmacist who lived in St. Bernard Parish in Louisiana, which is just outside of New Orleans. and uh, all of this, the setting of this is kind of in the early 2000s and um, it's, it's about a guy who finds himself in the middle of the emerging opioid crisis and uh, he becomes obsessed with what he sees happening, particularly with young people, but with, with people as they would get addicted to these opioids and so he takes action in order to Uh, He's just a pharmacist, but all of a sudden, he's investigating doctors, and he's investigating drug companies, and he finds himself in the very middle of this crisis as it is emerging. And he actually became a key part of bringing down corrupt doctors and corrupt businesses in the area in which he lived. And it really is an amazing story, but it causes you to say, well, why would a guy take on this type of assignment this type of project this type of calling what causes someone to say um i'm gonna like put basically my whole life on hold which is what he did in order to help save people from this crisis many people knew what was going on with opioids but not very many people did what this man did well the reason is, there was a backstory. The reason was, was this is a man who had experienced the, the death of his own son when he was just a young man. And experiencing the death of his own son, who was a victim himself of drug addiction, caused him to see in other young people... The face of his own son as they wrestled with drugs and wrestled with opi- opioids. and so that was the, the, the context, or the backstory, which led to his story of getting involved in this crisis and bringing to light corrupt doctors and corrupt businesses. And so the point is is that good news, it requires a backstory. It requires some context. The same is true with the gospel. The good news of the gospel, it also has a backstory, and it needs some context. In one of the clearest statements regarding the gospel in the New Testament, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, writes this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Here's what I want us to notice. This phrase. According to to the scriptures. The good news of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is rooted in the story of the Bible. When Paul says that Jesus Christ was crucified that he died in accordance with the scriptures, that he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, this is not simply a reference to the idea that in the Old Testament that the death and resurrection of the Messiah was predicted although that's true. But what Paul is saying to his readers, what he is saying to us is that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that it is rooted in the story of the Scriptures. And so, today we're going to take some time, and I'm going to attempt to explain that story. The story of the Bible the whole Bible in a reasonable amount of time. I think this is going to be good, and I really believe this is going to be helpful. First and foremost, to help us to understand the gospel in its context, but also because the reality is this for many of us, the Bible can be a bit intimidating. It's big, it's old. Sometimes it's hard to understand. And for that reason, sometimes we struggle in our reading of it and in our understanding of it because it can be intimidating. Now, I'm not going to solve all of that today. Like I said, we don't have that much time. But I do think that I'm going to share a couple things today that will maybe simplify for you the overarching story of the scriptures which will help us to then understand as you're reading and studying what's happening in different sections of Scripture. Are you with me? Let's pray, because I'm going to need some help. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you today for your presence here in this place. We thank you today for our time of worship, in which we are reminded of your holiness, of your goodness, of your greatness, of the victory of your cross, the victory of your resurrection. And we thank you that you are here in this place We ask right now that as we dig into your word, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes that we would see you more clearly. Lord, our heart, our desire right now is that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in our lives, in our church. That through looking into your word today, we would know you more. That we would know how to be the people that you are calling us to be, to live the lives that you are calling us to live, that you may be honored in and through our lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so, here's how I'm going to describe the scriptures for you today. And I would summarize how I'm going to summarize the story of the Bible today is simply this. That the story of the Bible is from, from the garden to the garden city. From the garden to the garden city. So, we have a couple of gardens in the Bible. The first one appears on the very first couple of chapters of the scriptures. Genesis chapter 1 starts out with, in the beginning, literally, right? It's like, this is how the story starts, in the beginning. And so what do we see at the first creation accounts? In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God was the creator, we see God as creator, and we see humans as the pinnacle of his creation. Everything is good, but not everything is complete. This is the beginning, but it is not the end. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 tells us, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And so the humans are image bearers who are to fill the earth and subdue it. In Genesis 2, we read about God planting a garden. We know it as the Garden of Eden. And what we see in this garden is a couple of things. We see that God is there, that God is present. And we see that two people are there. Two people. We know of them as Adam and Eve. You know, the scripture in Genesis 2 says that Adam is placed in the garden to work it and to take care of it. AKA, Adam is the gardener of the first garden. I want you to tuck that away for a little bit. But what we see at the beginning is we see God as creator. We see human beings as His the pinnacle of his creation. We see the Lord blessing humanity and putting in front of them the call, the mandate, the mission to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it. We see a garden where God is present we see two people. We see Adam as the gardener. If we turn to the very end of the book, in Revelations chapter 21 and 22, we see the last garden, so we start at the very beginning with the first garden, and then if we flip all the way to the very end of the book, this isn't cheating, but but there will be spoilers. If we flip all the way to the end of the book, you know what we see? We see another garden. We see the last garden. Let me give you a few scriptures here to help us picture what's happening at the very end of the book. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 10 to 14, it says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Skip forward to Revelation 21, 22 to 27. It says, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp." Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, 3b, and 4 and 5 says Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as great, um, sorry, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. They will be, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So here's what I want us to see. The creation, that what we read about in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that this was always headed here. That what started in the beginning was always headed to what we see and read about in Revelation 21 and 22. Creation was always to move in this direction. The Bible starts with God, a garden, and two people. But the Bible ends with God and a garden city. Notice the river flowing down the main street. Notice the tree of life, which we first encounter in Genesis 2 in the garden of Eden, all of a sudden now, the tree of life is in the city. What are we seeing? We are seeing the garden in the city. What's the point? We start with God and a garden and two people. But what we end with is God who is present and a garden city, meaning a city full of people. Not just two people but we see a city full of people, of image bearers. And here's what I want you to see today is that God started with a garden and two people, but his purpose was always that the earth would be filled with his image bearers, enjoying his presence and participating in his rule for eternity. This is the overarching story of the Bible. That God's purpose was always that the earth would be filled with his image bearers. That's you. Who would enjoy his presence and would participate in his rule for eternity. That's how it begins. That's how it ends. Right? It starts in a garden. It ends in a garden city. It starts with God and two people. It ends with God and the earth and a new creation that is filled with his image bearers who are enjoying God's presence and who are participating with him in his rule. Now, if we go back to Genesis, we read in chapter 3 of Genesis about the fall where humans rebel against God's sin and evil corrupt humanity and all of creation, God's purposes, meaning his plan to fill the earth with image bearers who would enjoy his presence and participate in his rule, that purpose seems to be derailed because sin and evil enters the scene. But listen, God won't give up on his purpose. And so the question that the scriptures answer for us is how is God going to get his project back on track? And so if we're starting in a garden with two people and we're ending with God in a garden and a city, the earth filled with image bearers who are enjoying his presence and participating with him in his rule, how are we going to get from this broken state? How are we gonna get things back on track? track that is the question that the scriptures answers for us you fast forward a little bit to um, to genesis chapter 12 we read about abraham's family and god's promise in genesis 12 1 to 3 it says the lord said to abram go from your country your people and your father's household to the land that i will show you and i will make you into a great nation meaning i will multiply you he says to abraham right now you're two Feels like a bit of a restart, doesn't it? Right now you're two, but one day you're gonna be a great nation. I will multiply your family. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. What is this? This is God renewing his purpose starting with this couple, Abram and Sarai. And so Abraham's family, they grow and eventually they end up in Egypt where they are enslaved for 400 years, after which God both punishes the gods of Egypt and delivers Israel from their bondage to the Egyptians in an event that we know as the Exodus at Mount Sinai. God makes a covenant with this nation, with Israel, because God is committed to the project which he had started from the very beginning, and he is committed to working with and through people to accomplish his purpose. This is one of the things that kind of blows my mind about God, who he is, and how he operates. God is God. I think, couldn't he just say the word and, like, everything just happens? Probably he could. But for some reason... God loves you and I so much that he's determined that he is going to partner with the people whom he created and whom he loves. That's his determination. That blows my mind. And so God makes this covenant with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, but you know what? Israel does, right? So God is making this covenant because he is inviting them to know him, to enjoy his presence, and to participate with him in what he is wanting to do in the world. But of course, Israel Israel kind of blows it. Israel fails. The priests, they fail. The kings, they fail. People were like, the priesthood, maybe these guys will be the people who will Show us the way, but they fail. Kings, maybe the kings will be the ones who will at last succeed where everybody else has failed, but guess what? They also blow it. Although, in the midst of that is another promise. God made a promise to Abraham in the midst of the failure of the kings. God makes a promise to David, and he says to him that some one day a king will come from your family, a king will come from your lineage. And he won't fail where everybody else has. But he will be an anointed one, a Messiah who will save his people and who will rule and reign forever. And so even in the midst of the failure of humanity and the failure of the nation of Israel and the failure of the priests and the failure of the king, kings, we see God making promises. We see God assuring us that he will be faithful, that he will not give up on his plans, he will not give up on his purposes, that he will not give up on what he had started from the very beginning. Israel continues along a path of largely characterized by disobedience and idolatry and following after the gods of the world. Eventually, Uh, They find themselves being conquered by foreign nations and led into exile. Eventually, they are allowed to go back. Some of them are allowed to go back into their land. But even then, they were not free. They were ruled over. And as such, even though Israel was allowed to eventually go back to its land, or Judea was, uh, you know that the people themselves never saw themselves. They always, they continued to see themselves as being in exile. Even when Jesus arrives on the scene, the people of Israel still saw themselves as being in exile. They were in the land, but they were not free. And so, the scripture, the Old Testament, it ends with uh, it ends as a story that is still in search of an ending. The Old Testament ends as a story that is still in search of a resolution. But when we enter the New Testament, we are introduced to this man named Jesus. You know, Matthew presents Jesus as the resolution of Israel's story. Watch this. In the uh, very beginning of Matthew, the first thing that you read when you start Matthew is a genealogy. I say first thing you read, but how many of us skip over that? <laughs> right? We, 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 We just kind of look at it and we go, I don't understand what's the point of Jesus' family tree here. So let's just fast forward to, you know, when it gets a little more interesting. But you know, one of the things that that story tells us is the genealogy in Matthew it links Jesus to two really important Old Testament characters. One is Abraham, to whom God had given this promise that I'm going to do something through your family. That would make you to be a blessing to the whole world. And it also links Jesus to David, to whom God had given a promise that somebody from your lineage will be anointed as a king who will save his people and who will rule and reign forever. So in Matthew 1, we see this connection with Jesus and Abraham and David. A little while later, we see Joseph struggling with his wife who is pregnant, but who says that she hadn't slept with anyone. Which seems kind of weird. It seems weird to us. You know who else it seemed weird to? Joseph. And so Joseph is struggling a little bit with what what am I going to do in this situation? What am I going to do with Mary? And an angel appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And so Matthew introduces Jesus as a baby born from a family line that includes Abraham and David. We see an angel appearing to Joseph saying, don't be afraid to embrace this woman and this child because he will save his people from their sins. But wait, there's more. You know that Jesus, in Matthew 2, we read that Jesus as a child was taken to live in Egypt of all Countries. You know that after Jesus had spent some time living in Egypt, he comes back to Egypt after Jesus returns from Egypt and he was only a kid. But you know what the next thing? Matthew then fast forward a number of years, and the next thing that Matthew tells us about is Jesus being baptized. I want you to think about this. Israel spends 400 years in Egypt, they come out. You know what the first thing that happened after? Israel came out of Egypt was they passed through the water of the Red Sea. Matthew tells us that Jesus came from Egypt and the next thing that Matthew tells us is that Jesus passed through the water of the Jordan River. After Israel passed through the water of the Red Sea, you know where they went? They went into the wilderness. Guess what happens with Jesus right after he passes through the waters of the Jordan River? The Spirit leads him into the wilderness where he was tested in very similar ways to how Israel was tested when they were in the wilderness. Upon, after the nation of Israel entered into the wilderness from the Red Sea, they found themselves at a mountain where Moses went up onto a mountainside and he came down with the tablets which were the law, the covenant that God was making with the nation of Israel, right? After Jesus comes out of the wilderness, Matthew tells us, the next thing that Matthew tells us is that Jesus went up on a mountain and his followers gathered around him and he gave them what we call the Sermon on the Mount, but which in reality is a restating of the new laws of the new covenant. And so Matthew, none of this is accidental. What is Matthew doing here? Matthew is telling us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the story of Israel. He's telling us that that story which was in search of an ending has found its culmination in this person of Jesus. And so Jesus goes on we read about through the Gospels that he goes around into different places and he's doing good. He's healing the sick. He's setting people free from demonic oppression, from their bondages. He's going around and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. He would teach in parables. Many of them, but I'll give you one for example. He tells a parable about a sower that sowed seed seed. On a number of different types of soil, there was a path and there was a stony ground and there was uh, like dry ground and then there was good soil and he tells this parable about this seed that is sown and some of it gets stolen and some of it shoots up quickly but then is dried out by the sun and some of it is choked out by thorns and, and bushes and some of it falls on good soil and it bears good fruit. After about three-ish years of Jesus traveling around Judea, teaching about the kingdom of God, serving people, performing miracles, he was eventually arrested and sentenced to death by crucifixion. You know, leading up to the time of his death, Jesus would say things like, very truly I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. It produces many seeds. And so the Gospels present Jesus as the resolution of the Old Testament story of Israel. And so we follow Jesus' life from infancy through his time of ministry, through to his death on a cross. And then watch this in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, what we read is we read a story where Mary Magdalene and some of the other women, they go to the tomb of Jesus in order to treat his body after he had been initially put into the tomb. But when they arrive at the tomb, the stone that covered the tomb had been taken away, and Jesus is not there. And so they, like, this is a traumatic thing, they run back to where the the, the disciples are, the apostles are, and they tell them somebody has taken away, like Jesus is not there, someone has taken him away. And they all, well, not they all, but some of the disciples, they run back. Mary, I assume, also goes back, a couple of the disciples, they look in, and they see nothing. And so they leave the scene, no doubt, in wonder, bewilderment, wondering what all of this might mean. But Mary sticks around for a little bit. Mary looks in the tomb again, and she sees a couple of angels. Now watch this, starting in verse 11 of chapter 20 of John says now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus body had been one at the head and the other at the foot and they asked her woman why are you crying they have taken uh, they have taken my lord away she said and i don't know where they have put him at this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? What do those next words say? Thinking that he was the gardener, Jesus said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him, Jesus said to her. Mary and he she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic Rabbonai which means teacher thinking he was the gardener This is not just an accidental detail that John puts in here or a matter of fact detail like thinking he was the carpenter or thinking he was the accountant but thinking that he was the gardener. What is John wanting us to see here? What John is wanting us to see here is that this is the very moment in the story of Scripture and the very moment in human history where new creation is springing forth in the middle of human history. Do you know one of the marvels of Jesus resurrection is simply this Many Jewish people believed that believed in resurrection but they universally believed that it was all going to happen at the end Nobody had ever imagined that in the middle of human history that there would be resurrection And John wants us to be real clear on what is happening in this moment, that it's not just another miracle like Lazarus. This is not what happened to Lazarus. This is something different. This is new creation springing forth. This is the moment that the final garden of Revelation 21 and 22 sprouts through the barrenness of a world that had been corrupted by sin and evil and death. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we kind of first started. Paul goes on and he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, which man? Adam. Adam. The resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so the first Adam was the gardener of the first garden. The second Adam, Jesus, is the gardener in the last garden, which has sprung forth and has borne its first fruit at the resurrection. First fruits. It means the produce that first comes from the ground. And so Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised all the the promised he is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament who in his life, death and resurrection has defeated the power of sin and death and has restored God's purpose for humanity which is revealed in the first garden and in the last garden. Remember God's purpose always was that the earth would be filled with image bearers who would enjoy his presence and who would participate in his rule. What the resurrection shows us is that that project was put back on track on that Easter Sunday morning. When new creation broke through, And burst forth. God has at last done what he had always determined to do, and this is the good news. That this is the good news. That Jesus rose from the dead in the middle of history, it is for us a promise that what we read about in Revelation 21 and 22 will in fact become a reality. It is our promise that God will ultimately fulfill the plans and the purposes that he began at the very beginning. Now, we're gonna get into this more next week, but let me give you one thought in closing about what this means for us because God's project is still a work in progress. If you look around, it doesn't look like Revelation 21 and 22 here, right? It doesn't look like that. In fact, sometimes it looks more like the, the destruction and the desolation that we imagine sin and evil and everything brings, right? We still live in a world that is still broken, right? Right? And it's like, you know, if you plant a garden in your yard, you start with seeds. And those seeds take a little bit of while until they start to kind of break through the surface. And then a gardener still has to kind of take care of it. And they've got to watch for weeds. And when a weed comes, they need to pull it. And if a predator comes, they need to make sure that they protect that garden from animals and predators that would come in and would try to take away the crop and the produce and the harvest and they need to work with it. And, but they start, it, they start with kind of a blank slate and then they start with a couple of little things that springs forth from the ground. But they do all of the work of caring for that garden and of working that garden and of pulling weeds and of protecting from predators. They do it all because they know that one day, the garden will be full of plants that are lush and are fruitful. It will be full of life and it will be full of the produce that you will get to enjoy when you are faithful as a gardener in that garden, right? Listen, this is the season that we are in in the story of the Bible and in human history, right? And... And so Jesus is at work in the garden in order to ensure that one day what we read about at the end of the book does in fact become a reality. But here's here's what's really exciting is that while God's project is still a work in in progress, he is still looking for project partners today. He's still looking for project partners today. See, God's purpose from the beginning was that the earth would be filled with image bearers who enjoy his presence and participate in his rule. And that is, still God's pur- uh, that is still God's desire, and it is still his purpose today. And so God is inviting you. He is inviting you me he is inviting us to participate in what he is doing right now and today in order to bring about the revelation 21 22 reality like to bring it forward to move it forward now watch this i'll invite the worship team to come on up as we just close here today In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, I wonder if anyone is in Christ here this morning. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, then what? He says, then the new creation has come. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. What I want you to see is this. Is that so? I want you to understand that the scope of Scripture is simply that God is moving creation from the first garden to the last garden. That His purpose, that threads itself throughout all of Scripture, is that His will is that the earth will be filled with His image bearers who enjoy His presence and who participate in His rule. We understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah who fulfills the Old Testament story, who in his life and his death and his resurrection reveals to us the kingdom of God. And on that Easter Sunday morning, the new creation broke through and burst into History and into our reality. And the scripture tells us that because Jesus was simply the first fruit, that you are also a fruit. That when you put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior, when you embraced Him as the Lord of your life, new creation burst forth in you. And now listen, we can all look around and see the signs of sin and of evil and of death all over the place. Here's what I pray that you will see today. That like a flower that sprouts up through hardened ground, Everywhere that you will go this week, every person that you will interact with and engage with, you can be for them in that moment new creation that springs up in the midst of their life. How are they going to experience new life? How or my family, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, how are they going to experience the reality of new creation? They experience it through you. They see it in your life. They see the signs of new creation. They see the springing forth of a kind of life that they've never experienced for themselves. And so we're invited not only to believe this good news that Jesus is the Messiah, that new creation has sprung forth, and that he will ultimately do what he has always said he would do, but we are invited to experience it and participate in it today. We are invited to enter into that story and to join with God in what He is doing, you know that God is at work all around you. When you leave here today, wherever you go, listen, the Holy Spirit is at work. When you're with your friends, when you're with your family, when you're with your coworkers, wherever your life is going to take you, the Holy Spirit is at work. And He's inviting you to participate in what He is doing because what he is doing is he's calling forth new creation in your home in your marriage with your children and in your family he's calling forth new creation where you work he's calling forth new creation in your neighborhood he's calling forth new creation in Albuquerque he's calling forth new creation in America it forth and he's inviting you and I to be a part of what he is doing as he renews all of creation so that one day the earth will be filled with the glory of God and the earth will be filled with image bearers enjoying his presence and participating in his rule and we're invited to enter that today Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I want us to do two things uh, this morning as we end our time together. And I want us to just lift our hands to the Lord. I want us to do two things. One is to lift our hands just to begin to give the Lord praise and to thank Him. To say, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for how you have... uh, How you have invaded my own life. How you have saved me. How you have caused new creation to spring up within my own life and within my own heart. How you have changed me and transformed me from the inside out. I thank you that you've invited me to know you, to enjoy your presence, to participate in your rule. Just lift your voices to him and just begin to thank him for that. Come on, let's do that for a moment this morning. Just give him praise today. Come on, in your own words, in your own voice, to say thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you for new creation springing up within me. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for new life. 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 Thank you Jesus. Thank you for new life. Thank you for your presence, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your goodness, O God. Thank you for the freedom that we have in you, Lord Jesus. Thank You for Your new life, O oh God. Thank You for new creation springing forth in our lives, O oh God. Thank You, Jesus, for all You've done, Lord Jesus. Thank You for Your life, Your death, Your resurrection, O oh God. Thank You, Lord Jesus. 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 Now, would you just, let's take a couple moments and just, I want you to call out to him again in your voice. Lift your voice up and just say, Lord, I say yes to your invitation. Lord, right now, before your presence, Lord, I say yes to your invitation. Lord, I say yes to your invitation to know you. To know you, to experience your presence in my life. I also say yes to your invitation to participate with you in what you are doing. Lord, I know that right now, You are moving by your spirit in my world. I know that you are moving in my family. That you're moving among my friends. That you're moving in my neighborhood. You're moving in our city. You are moving in our world. Lord, yes. I say yes today to you. I say yes to your invitation to participate in what you are doing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We say yes to you, Father. Lord, we say yes to you. Lord, we say yes to you. We say yes to your gospel. We say yes to your good news. We say yes to your presence. We say yes to your purpose. We say yes to you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 Let's just continue to worship the Lord together. The worship team is going to lead us in a song as we end our service today. Uh, if you want prayer today, we do have our prayer team available that we would love to just pray with you and minister to you if there's something on your heart. And uh, But church, uh, we love you. I pray you have a blessed week this week, and I pray that you find an opportunity this week to be new creation, to be a vision of new creation wherever you may find yourself. Amen. God bless you.